Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. You know, um, maybe it's your birthday and they tricked you and you walk in and all the lights are out and then they come on and everyone jumps out from behind everything and they yell at you, surprise. Maybe um, you wake up late, you get into your vehicle, you start going out in zero degree weather and surprise, your car has a flat. Maybe you have um, been saving for a long time and you have been wanting to uh, retire and you've got it all figured out financially and then surprise, the market falls out and you lose a third of what was in your retirement account. Maybe you show up at church and surprise, you find out it's Valentine's Day. You know, uh, when it comes to surprises, and guys, nothing's showing up on the back wall, so if you can fix that, thank you. All right. Um, when it comes to uh, surprises, we have a choice. Or is the surprise going to be a problem? Is there going to be an opportunity? Everything that happens to us, the flat tire on the way to work is, it could be a problem or it could be an opportunity. When your uh, investment gets crushed because of the what's going on. It's either an opportunity or it's a problem. We get to choose what that is. And you have to decide. Matter of fact, um, I think of, I saw a video earlier this week and it talked about um, this dad was trying to surprise his kids with a trip to Disneyland. Check out this video. There's a clue in your bag. Look in your bag, Gavin. No. What is it? Right. So I'm going to, you know, that's the way your surprise could be an opportunity. I'm going to Disney World or your surprise. You could be like Gavin. Like, oh, what a go. Well, today I'll open up your Bibles to the book of Judges in chapter six. Judges chapter six. And I want to introduce you to a guy who uh, God shows up in his life and says, surprise. And then he has a moment like Gavin. I don't want to do it. Judges chapter 6. And I'm going to start reading in verse 11. If you uh, open up, if you pull out one of the Bibles, if you don't have one with you, underneath the seats in front of you, there should be one. And if you find page 249, that's where I'm at. Judges chapter 6. And I'm going to start reading in verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah. You didn't know she was in the Bible, did you? which belonged to Joash the Abezrite, 
while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Will you join me in prayer? God, I just ask you to continue to allow your Holy Spirit to be here in this room, to speak to hearts and minds. And God, I pray that you will show us, everyone who's sitting in here, everyone who's watching online, that you will show us that it's you who's called us and that you'll be with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, so last week I shared with you about the story of Daniel, and I talked about some lessons that we can learn from the life of Daniel and through his experience. And, and today I want to uh, open up and talk to you right here in Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7 about this guy named Gideon and how that there's lessons that we can learn from Gideon. Now, I learned this early in my life, and that's this. You can learn from other people's mistakes, or you can learn from your own mistakes. And inevitably, we end up learning better from our own mistakes. Wisdom says, watch and see what happens to other people, and then don't do that if you don't want that result. But for some reason, we continually even though it didn't work for them, we're convinced, you know what, it's going to work out for us. If I just, you know, that was them, I'll try it. And so here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you some lessons that we can learn from Gideon. And you get to choose, are you going to learn from Gideon or are you going to learn the hard way? Are you going to learn from your own trials and your own challenges? You know, the first lesson that I think that we saw here in this um, chapter 6 in Judges is that God is trying to solve a problem. Surprise! And he's looking at you to solve it. Did you hear me? God is trying to solve a problem, and he's looking at you. It happened here. So, again, open up back to Judges chapter 6. And we see this in verse 6. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And what's interesting is that God answered that. God responded. And he sent a prophet to the Israelites. And this prophet told them, 
It's because of what you are doing. Matter of fact, if you look in verse 1 of Judges chapter 6, it says, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. See, that was the problem. And so God allowed Midian to come for seven years to basically just have their way with Israel, to come in and steal their crops, to come in and take everything from them. And now the children of Israel were tired of that, and they were crying out to God, and now God was going to solve the problem, and he found a man to solve that problem. And that man's name was Gideon. And it says, the angel of the Lord appeared under the tree right by where Gideon was. So the first lesson we need to learn, folks, is that God, there's problems out there that God's trying to solve. And God wants to use you to solve the problems. There's problems in your family. And God wants to use you to solve the problem in your family. There's problems at your work. And God wants to use you to solve those problems. But inevitably, I guess, I expect that we're going to respond like Gideon. And so the, the next lesson we should learn from Gideon is that stop making excuses. When, when God identifies a problem and he identifies you as the solution and he lets you know that you're the solution, stop making excuses. Matter of fact, if we look here um, with Gideon in, in chapter 6, and here's what uh, Gideon said to him. Gideon said, surely you can't use me. He goes, I'm from the least of the tribes. Matter of fact, uh, the tribe's name was Manasseh. Now, I don't know if you know much about Bible history, but the tribes were named after the sons of Jacob. Jacob did not have a son named Manasseh. He had a son named Joseph, but there is not any tribes named Joseph. Do you guys remember Joseph? The guy that got sold into slavery in Egypt? And because of him, the children of Israel were released from, saved from a famine. The, the tribe after Joseph, instead it was after one of Joseph's sons named Manasseh. And you know, that didn't sit well. Matter of fact, that didn't give them much status among those 12 tribes. Matter of fact, it made them the least of the tribes because they weren't named after Joseph. And the reason why was because Joseph married an Egyptian woman. And that's who Manasseh was a child to. And so Gideon points this out to the angel of the Lord and says, uh, surely you're not talking about using me because I'm from Manasseh. Do you know who you're talking to? And then he doesn't stop making an excuse about what tribe he's from. And he says, and I'm the least of all my family. You know what? God didn't stop there. So the first lesson I hope you learn from Gideon is that God's looking to solve a problem, and he's looking at you. And the second lesson you need to learn is that stop making excuses when God identifies it, when God lets it be known to you what needs to happen. And the third lesson that we need to learn is don't test God. Just look at the person beside you and say, don't do it. Everyone, tell the person right beside you, don't do it. Don't test God, all right? If you don't want to learn from Gideon, um, you are going to go to what's called the school of hard knocks. And the school of hard knocks is not fun. 
And a lot of people, for some reason, don't want to learn from Gideon, and they don't want to learn the lesson that you shouldn't test God, and they test God. I'm just here to tell you, I wouldn't do that. That's not the class I would sign up for. That's not the, the graduate degree that I'm looking for in testing God. What we want instead is trusting God, but when we don't trust God, we test him. And so that's exactly what Gideon does. And if we read in Judges uh, chapter 6 and verse 34, let me just read a couple of verses here, and let's look at the test that he did. Verse 36, and Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. Now, what's important about the threshing floor? Well, that was where he was hiding. That's where that old mighty man of valor was hiding, and that's where he was uh, trying to uh, hide the, the wheat from the enemy. And so he says, look, you know, I don't want everyone to know what I'm doing, so I'm going to put this piece of wool here in the threshing floor, and, and if you really mean what you say, then I want you to make it wet and everything else dry. In verse 38, and it was so. And when he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, don't do this, folks. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anchor burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Let me test you just once more with the fleece. Have you ever done that where you, you've asked God to do something and he does it like immediately within minutes? You know, you know what? That was probably a coincidence. Um, and so you go back to God and you try him one more time. And that's what Gideon's doing here. He said, let me test you just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on the ground let there be dew. Maybe there was just the wrong time of year and that was an accident. That's going to happen anyway. So he does that in verse 40. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only and on the ground there was dew. Now, a lot of times we look at this and we think, well, you know, there was Gideon testing God twice. But if you read and you pay attention to the story, he didn't test God twice. He tested God three times. Because at the very beginning, when the angel of the Lord approached him and told him what was going to happen, he said, show me a sign. And if you read the story, um, the angel says, go and prepare a meal. And so he goes and he gets an animal and he goes and he gets the uh, uh, basically soup. He brings it back and the angel says, put that on the rock. And he puts the meat on the rock and then he pours the soup over it. And then the angel touches the rock and it immediately cooks the meal. And the angel of the Lord disappears. Gideon knew at that moment, because he said it, I just saw God. He knew right then, just like you know when God is calling you and he's telling you and he's prompting you and he's pushing you and he's made it clear to you, and yet you do and I do what Gideon did and we test God. And I'm here to tell you, don't test God. Because the Bible tells us in Isaiah, or Hosea that if you sow the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. If you test God, God's going to test you back. You see, Gideon's fleece moment was not just once or twice. It was three times. 
It wasn't enough for the angel of the Lord to do that miracle at the beginning. It wasn't enough for him to do it the first time he asked about the fleece. He had to do it one more time. Why? Because he wasn't trusting God. Well, I want to introduce you to somebody here in this room that hasn't, has sometimes not trusted God when God was very clear. And so, Carrie, would you come up and join me up here? And a bunch of you should say, whew. All right, let's test your mic. Is yours working? Is it working? Man, okay. I got the bad one again. All right. <laughs> Okay, so um, I'm going to ask Carrie some questions, and I just want her to share with you uh, her testimony about a time that very similar to Gideon, where God had uh, made something clear, and uh, Carrie wasn't quite ready. And so um, tell us about the, the call from Nancy. Okay, so I had the opportunity to be part of a steering committee, a group of people who was going to open a pregnancy clinic in Biloxi, Mississippi. And I got a call from Nancy, who was the head of our steering committee, and she asked me if I would pray about being the executive director. So my mind immediately went to Moses, and, but God, I can't speak. I'm not qualified. She said, well, will you at least pray about it? I said, sure, I'll do that. So she asked me to pray about it for two weeks. And... I know that within that two-week period that I rationalized from a, a very human and worldly standpoint of why that shouldn't be me. So when she called back two weeks later, I told her that I wasn't going to do it. Within, it was either the next day or two days later, my boss walked into my office and shut the door and he told me that corporate was closing our branch office down the following week. As he was telling me this, I just had this mental picture in my mind of God giving me a swift kick in the behind, and, saying... And I called it God using a two-by-four. <laughs> yes. Um, telling me it's time to get out of your comfort zone. And so I immediately called Ronnie and said, hey, this just happened. Do you think that this is God telling me that this is what I'm supposed to do. And that's when he said, I think he just hit you over the head with a two-by-four. What more do you want? So I, um, I made a trip to where Nancy worked, which was at the preschool at our church, and walked in and told her what happened and said, so I'll do it. She said, do what? You know, what we talked about. And what was that? She said, what, what are you going to do? You know what we talked about, and she would not stop until I verbalized that I would be the executive director of the pregnancy center. And when those words came out of my mouth, then just a, a whole flood of emotion uh, poured out as well, uh, because it seemed so overwhelming. Yeah. So do you hear that? God, to get Carrie's attention, cost the other people jobs. No pressure, honey. Thanks. So let me ask you, did you just wake up one morning and think, you know what, uh, I'm interested in what's going on with Crisis Pregnancy Centers? No. 
So at 22, I experienced an unplanned pregnancy of my own. Seven years later, we lived in um, Tampa, Florida, went to church in St. Pete, and our, uh, our church started getting involved with a pregnancy clinic in St. Pete. But at that time, we were, we were getting ready to move, military, getting ready to move. Um, so I, w I didn't have the opportunity. I was very interested, but didn't have the opportunity to get involved. So then we were in California, and I you know, got the phone book out, and found a pregnancy clinic, and called. And, and we were only going to be in California for eight months, so not there long enough to go through training and, and get involved. And uh, so then we moved to Mississippi uh, after California in 1998. And again, searched for pregnancy clinics in Mississippi. The closest one was an hour and a half away. Uh, there was one an hour away in Mobile. So now fast forward uh, a few years from that, 2001, and we were, we were looking for a church home. And I remember specifically praying that God would make it very clear to us where he wanted us. And we walked into uh, a new church that morning, and in the bulletin, it said there's a group of people wanting to start a pregnancy clinic on the coast, if you're interested in being a part. See Nancy. <laughs> so that was, uh, immediately, I took that as confirmation. That's where we were supposed to be. So um, when I was talking about Gideon, I talked about how that God had a problem that he needed solved, and he was using Gideon. Did Was there a problem that God needed solved that you saw that he'd used you for? Uh, well, the problem that, that I saw that the team saw uh, was... There was an abortion clinic an hour away in Mobile, and again, that was the closest pregnancy clinic, um, unless they went an hour and a half, it was in Mississippi. Yes. Um, what about uh, as impact. you stepped out into this role, um, did you see things happen? Did you see things change? Did anything happen in you? Incredible things happened in me. Um, spiritual growth, incredible spiritual growth, um, lessons learned that are so valuable that I hang on to um, every day. I saw God work. I knew that that ministry was so close to his heart. We saw him move and work in incredible ways like I had never seen him move and work before. What about uh, personally, um, did you see God things in your life spiritually well, in spiritual spiritual growth the, the lessons learned that um, I I don't know I think it probably would have taken me my whole lifetime to learn some of the lessons that that I learned so what advice would you give because I know that there's a couple of people out here I'm not going to call them by name but there's a couple people out here that are probably struggling with you know is this you God and and they really know what would you give to them, having gone on the other side of that many times? So it sounds simple to just say have faith and step out, uh, be obedient, trust God. But I know it's not, it's not the easiest thing to do. Um, it's the narrow path that Ronnie talked about a couple weeks ago. It's easy to take that wide path and stay in your comfort zone. But I would encourage you to, to step out and 
take, give God the opportunity to work in you and through you and to see things that you'll never see if you don't. So walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. Well, um, so I got to tell you this, that, uh, go ahead and stand up, honey. Um, not too long ago, Carrie told me a story. She had a dream. And in that, do you remember that dream? In that dream, um, I introduced her. I said, folks, this is my wife, uh, Carrie Tabor. Now you remember it, don't you? Yes. Yes. And um, when I did that, instead of getting an applause, it was just like crickets. Like, So if you guys love my wife as much as I do, would you just let her know by... Here's the reality, folks, that in God's economy, it just works. It's not going to work in yours. It's not going to work in your life. It's not going to work the way you're trying to figure it out. But in God's economy, it just works. And see, here's what happened with Gideon. Uh, Gideon, uh, finally, he got excited. He saw the fleece moments. I mean, have you ever thought to yourself, why the fleece? I don't know. That's what he chose. Matter of fact, you probably ask yourself years later, why did I sell my future out on, and it's not a fleece, it's something even worse. It's something even sillier. But that's what he did. And then it, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon, and he blew his trumpet, and then men from tribes came around and at the end of the week, he had 32,000 men that were ready to go and help fight against the Midianites. I mean, now, can you imagine what Gideon's walking around looking like? I mean, I mean, he's just like, yeah. You know, how many more? I mean, they just keep adding them up. 2,000. But you remember earlier, there was a lesson that I said, don't test God. Because when you test God after he's made it clear to you, when he's made it crystal clear, when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's told you to do that, he's told you to step into that role, he's told you to take action, he's told you to love on that person, he's told you what to do, and you know it, it's crystal clear, don't test God anymore. Because when you test God, he's going to come back and test you again. And so he says to Gideon, I, I don't know what the conversation looked like. The, 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 this isn't in the Bible. This is what I call Ronology, all right? You got to study really deep to find Ronology. But here's what I think happened. I think God uh, came up to Gideon in his tent, and he said, how many men have you got? And, and Gideon made just a big old smile. He says, God, we've got 32,000 men. We're ready to go and do what you've called us to do. We're going to free the people. And then God says, Gideon, there's too many men with you. Excuse me, God? There's too many men with you. Are you sure, God? Is that what you said? There's too many men with you. Here's what you need to do. I want you to go out there, and I want you to ask anybody who's scared, and whoever identifies himself as scared, let them go back home. He's probably thinking that a couple of men will leave and, and a couple more men will come in and replace them. 
Maybe this is this is sound strategy. Get rid of the cowards. But if he would have gotten rid of all the cowards, who would have been the first one that needed to leave? That's right, Gideon, the mighty man of valor. And so he goes out and he, he tells the men, if you're afraid, if you're worried, if you've recently gotten married, go back home. 22,000 men packed up and left. And I imagine Gideon goes back to his tent just a little bit different. Probably falls onto his cot, and then there is God again. Hey, Gideon, sits up, shoulders droop. How many men you got? Got 10,000. Did you hear that? 10,000. There's 136,000 at least on the other side of the river. He's got 10,000. And God says to him a second time, you've got too many with you. Just imagine Gideon's heart falling out. You sure, God? You got too many men. Remember that fleece? Remember that fleece? Remember when you asked for it to be wet and everything to be dry? Remember when you squeezed it out and nothing but water came out? Remember that, God. Remember the next day when you wanted it dry and you wanted everything else wet, I want you to go out there. I want you to take the men down to the water. And the ones who don't get the water in their hand and drink from it, I want you to send them home. And at the end of the day, Gideon was left with 300 men. Let me tell you this. Your lack of understanding does not excuse your disobedience. You see, in God's economy, it just works. God could have done it with 32,000. He could have done it with 10,000, and he can do it with 300. And God didn't take the 32,000 away because there were too many. It was because they might haughtily say that we did it in our own strength. He didn't take away the 10,000 because anything else than what I believe is because Gideon tested him three times. You see, in God's economy, it just works. And here's the reality. Many of you have missed out on God working in your life because you've told yourself, you know what, I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to wait until I really know that it's God telling me to do this. What if Carrie would have sat that one out? Hundreds not thousands of young ladies' lives would have been affected. Because she tested God, I believe God shut down that office. That's how important that job was that she was going to. What is it that God needs you to do? It might be serving in the nursery. And to you, it looks like 136,000 people on the other side of the river and you can never do it. Maybe it's working with, did you see all those youth up there on the, the picture? That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of trouble. 
That's a lot of mischief. You know what that means? That means we need a lot of adults. Maybe God's told you you need to be up here singing and praising because you he's gifted you with that. And you told told him, you know what, God, I'm just not ready. You know what? People don't know what my past is like. And I'm afraid that if I get up there, someone's going to find out and they're going to remind me. And they're going to tell me. And God, I just don't want to go through that. And yet God's whispering in your ear, I forgive you, God. I don't see that. What are you talking about? What is this thing that you speak of? There's another lesson that we can learn from Gideon. That if he's called you, he will be with you. Oh, come on. This is the part where you're supposed to get excited. If God has called you, he will be with you every step of the way. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Bible tells us in Romans that if God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter. If God is for you, he doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care who you've hurt. He doesn't care how you behave. If the blood of Christ has poured over you, he's changed you, you are a new creation, now act like it. And then in Judges chapter 7 and verse 9, let's, let's see what God does. This is, what, this is why God is a good God. This is why God, you know, they make fun of us as Christians, as Christ followers. They question our faith system. How could a God send somebody to hell? A loving God. But yet, let me, let me show you what kind of God we serve. Judges chapter 7 and verse 9. Now this is right after he's left with 300 men. This is right after he was on the mountaintop with 32,000. I'm ready. Come on, God. Let's go get him. Two days later, three days later, he's left with 300 men. Ain't feeling sparky anymore. He's wondering, was that fleece really wet and was it really dry? And that same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Told him to move out. Go take. Go win the battle. But, but here's the God that you serve. Here's the God that I serve. Here's the God that Gideon served. In verse 10, it says, but if you are afraid. You see, God knew who he was talking to. God saw a mighty man of valor, but Gideon didn't. Gideon saw a coward. Gideon saw the least of his brothers. Gideon saw the least tribe of all of Israel. God saw a mighty man of valor. God saw that if Gideon would just surrender, if Gideon would allow himself to be used, that he, he, God, would deliver. God 
to solve the problem. If you go down to the camp, take your servant, Pura, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And then he went down with Pura's servant. Why? Because he's afraid. And the servant to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp, in verse 12, and the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand, and that is on the seashore in abundance. And when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. Can you just picture this? Gideon's crawling through the bushes. And he's getting as close to the camp as he possibly can. And here by this campfire are two guys. And one says, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and, and a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of the Midian, and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell, and it turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all of the camp. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. Folks, when you see God, see, that's the God we serve. When you see God call you and confirm you, the only natural reaction for us is to worship. So, Rod, if you'll bring the worship team up, we're going to worship. And while they're coming up, i got one question for you. What does your wine press look like? Where are you hiding? What is it that you're allowing to keep you from working for good, for doing God's work? Are you letting your kids keep you from it? Are you letting the weather keep you from serving God? Are you letting your health you know, when I think of excuses, um, we had this relationship seminar. We started at 6 o'clock on Friday night and went till 9. And then we started again at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. And one young man that was here, he, he was here from 6 to 9. He left and he was at work at 10 o'clock. He got off at 7 in the morning and he was back at 8 o'clock and he didn't fall asleep one time during that. He could have hid behind his job. And you know what a lot of us do? We hide behind the weather. We hide behind our jobs. We hide behind our kids. We hide behind our past. What does your wine press look like? You know what it is. The Holy Spirit's knocking on your door right now and telling you, what's the excuse that you give to yourself? You never tell anybody else. You just tell yourself, I can't do that because if I do... You'll never see God defeat the army with 300 if you all trust him. You'll never see God do something special in your family's life if you don't step out and believe and trust and start following. You'll never see God do something incredible if you won't do something simple. You see, following God's simple. It's not easy. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it. Sign me up. It's not easy. 
It's a narrow gate. Hard path. But it's simple. You just got to go through it. Will you stand to your feet? Let me just close with a, a verse and a blessing on you. And Romans 15, 13 says these words. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. But the only way that you're going to get filled with joy and peace is you got to believe. You got to give up the doubt. You got to trust. And here's what happens when you do that. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I know we're in a Baptist church, but the Holy Spirit is here too. I say a Holy Ghost around Baptists and they run. Here's what the Judges 6.34 says, that the Holy Spirit came upon him. Did he? Now when we see that, we think that, that the Holy Spirit wrapped himself around. But really what it means is that literally that the Holy Spirit indwelt. And almost like that Gideon was the glove and the Holy Spirit was the hand that fits inside the glove. And so I wonder how many gloves are here today that there's no hand in it. It's sitting in the console. You, you forgot it at the house. And I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit is ready to fill you and to empower you. And that's how you know you're not alone. That's how you know that God is with you. That's, see, here, here there's many people there that one of the most often questions that I get is this for people who doubt their salvation. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because almost every one of us, probably every one of us in here at some point in our life have doubted our salvation. And I always ask this question. When you were on fire for God, did you doubt your salvation? When the Holy Spirit was real in your life, did you doubt your salvation? Nope. But when you grieve the Spirit, when you say no to God, when you don't trust Him, when you don't believe that He can use you, when you doubt His words, when He says, go and take this hill. Yeah, you'll doubt God, and you'll doubt your salvation, and you'll become ineffective as a Christian. Folks, it's time to worship. God wants to use every one of you standing in this room right now. God wants to use all of you that are watching this, whether it's today or whenever you come across this. The creator of the universe wants to use you. He's got a problem to solve. You know what the problem is. The question is, will you respond? The question is, will you give up your excuses? The question is, will you stop all of the reasons why you can't and surrender to the one reason why you can and that's God the altar is open today if you've been holding back if you've been allowing yourself to say no to God and the Holy Spirit today's the day you say yes today's the day that you get look folks you guys are the hardcore ones you made it out in this weather I don't know about you but uh, it was zero degrees this morning you know some people only need one reason not to come to church and that was the number one degree but you made it here don't waste this opportunity don't waste what God has been knocking on your heart for the last 30 minutes don't waste 
you know, you know, and you know that you know. Surrender today. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.